On this week's episode of MLO, we're going behind the curtains. What is involved in the underwriting process? There we go, there we go, there we go. <laughs> Got the theme song rolling. Yeah, Wait for baby. the little pause. That's good. Someday I want Casey to actually bring in an instrument and play that little like a little banjo. Down down run. Pick that okay. down or something. That's a one of the days Sick. we have to do like a dance intro or something, right? Choreographed or just freestyle. I'd love to kill it on a harmonica. What was that? What was that dance thing when everyone would start immediately dancing right away to the same song, like in a square? What oh was that yeah. Called? Do you remember that? It was really popular a few years ago. Those were videos. Mm-hmm. I forget. You know what I'm not forgetting? <laughs> this snow we got going on out here. Yes, and ice. Oh my goodness. The crazy. Ice crazy. Yeah, the weather's for real, everyone. If you are just listening and not watching the MLO show, we are located in Portland, Oregon and Southwest Washington. Those are the primary areas we cover, and we have endured quite the weather the last four or five days. So we're glad to have power back, glad that everybody is safe, and glad that you are joining us today on the MLO show. Introducing, we have the mother of mortgages, yes, Bree Fisher. Oh, hello, everyone. It's so nice to be well, here. Well, hello. <laughs> we love it when Bree's with, with the team and makes time for us. And uh, I mean, what she brings to yeah. the table, I mean, it's nice. I mean, she brings extra boost, and we love the personality and enthusiasm. Everything's better with Bree, well, even when it's the cheese. Oh, gosh, well, there's a often. plug. Oh, there's gosh. a plug for you, huh? There's, well, thank you, guys. Yeah, you make it pretty easy. <laughs> good to have you. And of course, Casey Carpenter, your Navy vet and mortgage advisor. Casey, say what up. What is going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to MLO Show, Casey Carpenter. And for all my veterans out there, please tune in because, you know, I love your support. Yeah. And what I like about today, guys, is this was actually Bree's uh, concept for the title. So just to bring it out behind the curtain, what happens during the underwriting process? And what's extremely important here is a lot of the people I work with, it's somewhat of a mystery. It's the Wizard of Oz piece of it all. So our intentions here is to really be able to convey simply and digestibly What happens, right, Bree? Right. And, you know, one of our goals with this show is is not just to bring you mortgage and finance and real estate information, but, you know, we are heavily into the market and do a, a, a pretty good volume of business between the three of us. And we know firsthand on the front lines of what people are, what the challenges are, and what you're doing every day to try and buy, in a, buy a house or invest. So we're trying to bring you most current information and, you know, Addie, talk a little bit about that because it's really easy to Google and those articles come up and they're from 2017 <laughs> and you, and sometimes you don't realize that. Yeah. That changes have happened. We need the underlined bold and asterisks of current right. because I've even built in a habit now of when I Google something, I add in the year 2021 to the end of what I'm searching because- Great tip. You know, it's beautiful that we have the internet and we have such- accessibility to information. Yes. Um, however, industries like mortgages change. Guidelines, investors' perspective, underwriters' perspective, how a pandemic is being handled, which is what we're going to go through today, can change at any moment's notice. So the information might not be accurate. 
right. that you're searching on Google or the internet or, you know, I like to use that backyard barbecue. Uncle Dan at the backyard barbecue. <laughs> Guys, just, just try to check those dates. I, I mean, that's the best yeah. advice we can give you. If you're Google searching on the internet, um, I think you could probably find anything you want on the internet these days. Or at least and .gov and .org are yeah, yeah. a little bit more stable. <laughs> But it's like you can find the answer you're looking for. It just that doesn't mean the answer is right. So right. hopefully, us here as advisors can shed some light on right and truthful information when it comes to mortgages and underwriting process and the home buying process. And a lot of stuff that I see kind of rolling in probably to our number one category here is some people kind of just lose the sight and don't know the difference between like pre-approved and underwriting mm. too because right. you have mm-hmm. different you know different stages of it right i casey we're getting you know a lot of requests recently about hey i've gotten pre-approved and i've gotten I've gone into contract on a home which is the huge overcoming challenge and obstacle right now with low inventory but you're in contract on a home in a purchase agreement and my loan's already pre-approved so what happens now what is underwriting and what more steps do i need to go through and watch out for to make sure that my escrow and my purchase of my home or refinance is successful. Yeah, I'm glad that you put that together, Bree. Just to recap it, this episode might be most beneficial to someone that, like you said, just got into contract. But don't discredit if you are watching or listening. There's going to be some takeaways here that you'll want to take note in. If you're planning to sell or considering refinancing or Perhaps you're on the 6, 12, 24-month plan for saving for that down payment to get into home. There's right. a, there's nuggets, and I am keep taking your I little nugget That's line good. from Casey, but there's takeaways there that are very, very usable. Great takeaways to prepare. So We'll roll right into it, guys. You might be on that, that part where it's like, hey, I'm not yet in contract. So what did that pre-approval mean that, mm-hmm. that, that Brie was mentioning? And I'll also give you guys a couple uh, just definition kind of breakdowns. Like what is the difference between pre-approved and underwriting? And and it's simply put, guys, your pre-approval is when you're just you're not in contract yet. You're trying to set yourself up for success, find out what you can qualify for, find out what your buying power is. You've sat down with your loan officer, mortgage advisor. You've done an application. He's pulled your credit. He's uh he or she has provided you with a list of supporting documentation to um, show and suffice the information that you've put on your application. And then after that has been checked, he, is, he or she has ran it through a automated underwriting system to verify and reassure and give uh, some light onto that information of that application to say, hey, this is, you know, looks good from an automated underwriting standpoint for a pre-approval. And basically that person at the front, you client at the very beginning, have now vetted your application, had your stuff checked, and that loan officer is saying, hey, you are now pre-approved based off the information I have. Now you can go shopping, right? Mm-hmm. So you're at that beginning stage, and I just wanted to clarify that for, for people out there. You do have that first stage of pre-approved. So that's prior to application, right, guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not to be confused most often with pre-qualified because that pre-qualified, anyone can jump on – an internet lender and type in their information and then get a printed letter. And most of the time, those are just good faith estimates. There's not any supporting loan documentation. There's rarely any automated underwriting ran. And that's why at least in our market, those types of offers aren't even taken seriously from a seller standpoint in most, most cases. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and I and, and the backing of that pre-approval, you know, goes a long ways too. And and guys, we we've had a lot of episodes out there too that go into different layers of this as well. Um, make sure you guys tune and check that on. But how about this? So I've been pre-approved. Now, what is this underwriting stage that we hear about? Or if you don't know, guys, there is another stage that's even more detailed where an underwriter is going to look at your entire loan application and file to review that. And and simply, why is that? Why do we have to have underwriting? Well, because mortgage lenders, and that's us, credit unions, mortgage companies, banks, Basically, and I'll give you the straight definition, guys, we must meet requirements developed by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau to ensure fair and transparent treatment among borrowers across the line. So that is your reason why underwriting is needed, because it's a rule and a law, and it's something that we need to do. Now, the positive side of that, guys, is they're there to vet and just make sure that you're putting yourself in a very good position to afford this home to be able to make that payment. So it doesn't need to be scary. It can be very light and open because they're there to help you guys and to assure that you guys are just setting yourself up in a positive, positive situation to buy this home. Right, guys? And so what what, what would they look like? What is, what is that underwriter going to review? Because that could be a question, you know, that someone might not have gone through the process out there, want to know. Well, typically it's this. That underwriting process, that's basically when that underwriter is going to analyze the entire financial situation and, and, and basically determine how likely and stable you are to make your mortgage payments and repay that debt. And at the end, are you, um, you know, is there risk factors there that can be had or not had that make you um, a less risky or more risky investment for that lender? Well, I love how the detail you're putting together there. And I just want to bring that into a fun size candy bar rather than King. Yeah. Because that's a lot, right? That's a huge sandwich to bite off. But bringing it down a little bit further is you've worked with hopefully someone here or an, a decent, reputable mortgage <laughs> advisor. Hopefully. And they've done their due diligence. They've collected supporting loan documents. Yes, sir. And it goes back to our episode case on the three C's, compensation, yes. right? Credit and yes, cash sir. to close. So within that box, the underwriter has a hundred checkpoints that they have to go through for those three major bullets, right? With the credit, has there been any late payments, history of, of accounts or the balances, the debt to income ratios, the employment, is it stable? All this stuff. So they're gonna go through cash to close. Is this Bitcoin? If so, we're in trouble. Is it cash under the mattress? Right. Things like that. And Bree's going to dive into it. But I just wanted to ro- rotate into our three C's because that for might sure. be. They review the three C's within the set guidelines that they have for the loan program that you are utilizing. And, and guys, me and Addy actually jumped to this point, too, that people forget about out there. The appraisal. The appraisal mm-hmm. is reviewed by your underwriter as well, guys. So that's another, you know, another part of that financial piece, that whole profile picture that we're submitting yeah, that they point. that they are reviewing. You know, so not only do you got your parts of it, your credit, your income, your cash to close, all those good things. Um, we got the house itself, the appraisal as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So I'd like to, to jump in a little bit about okay, what is an underwriter looking at? Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, in detail. Like, right. What, yeah. Like that is a, a perfect example, Casey, because it's the pre-approval versus now we actually have to go in and verify the information because up front we look at your income and statements and bank statements and tax returns. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are 
ins and outs to those. So let's dive in a little bit. Basically, there are three key points that an underwriter is going to review once you're in contract on a home or once your refinance is submitted to underwriting. The first one is credit. So one of the things we're going to talk about today are the big don'ts. Yeah. Because it, it just feels, and I love all of our customers dearly. <laughs> we do. We love you guys. <laughs> we really do. But it, it feels like as many times as we kind of say, hey, guys, you know, don't make large deposits into your bank statements. You know, don't leave your job in the middle of the transaction. It still happens, and it happens fairly often. So one of those things is with your credit. Do not apply for other credit cards, lines of credit, or car loans. I, you know, I closed a, a uh, purchase transaction a few months ago for one of the financial advisors uh, that owns a company here in Portland. Mm-hmm. It's smart, smart guy, right? He knows finances. He knows his debt to income ratio is really tight because he claims so many expenses on tax returns, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To lessen his uh, tax burden. So yep. it, he, you know, qualifying was not easy for him, although his income was pretty high. And I said, you just cannot go out and buy a, a vehicle or anything right before because our debt to income ratio is right there. Where is this going? (laughs) (laughs) Two days before closing, he calls and says, Brie, guess what? I got the best, best deal on an Escalade. It's beautiful. You should come see it. I said, you know what, Jeff? You're going to turn around and you're going to go return the vehicle today because you're signing on your loan docs in about four hours. Mm. And that is going to show that credit pool for that uh, dealership is going to show on your credit. And right before funding, the underwriter and the funder are going to ask us, are there any new debts as a result of an inquiry on your credit mm. report? Mm. And there's going to be, and we're going to have to say, yes, there's a auto brand loan. new Escalade <laughs> debt. Right. So, you know, don't apply for new cars. Don't go get a new car, new appliances. I know, especially right now, you know, we want to start doing flooring and new things to our homes and get ready for yeah, that. Totally. But please, please check with your loan officer before doing any of that. Sometimes, every once in a while, there is room for somebody to have flexibility in their credit profile to do that. Yeah. But it's not often. More the case is don't touch, don't apply for any new credit. That includes increasing the balances on your credit card. So if you mm. have a $2,000 mm. balance on a credit card, you know, going and pulling, putting $5,000 for a deposit on appliances or furniture will make an impact. Because what happens is right before underwriting, just the example that I gave, the we will pull a soft pull and that'll show any new inquiries on your credit report and it'll also show if the amount the balance on your debts has increased significantly since we originally pulled it at the time of application so watch that credit report another really big thing is that people think that if they close their credit accounts it's going to look even better mm. for underwriting. Yes. But closing credit accounts um, will negatively impact your credit score pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. So really try not to close those accounts. Um, the next part of that is income and employment. Mm-hmm. So don't make drastic job changes <laughs> if you are considering buying a home in the next several months to a year or so. And right now, this can be really tricky because with COVID, we have a lot of people who are either furloughed or taking another look at their career and job. And, hey, what do I want to do in the next 10, 20 years or so? Or what do I want to try? Totally. Um, yeah. Totally. And, and where do I want to live? And, and where do I move to to support that new career? It's fantastic that you're thinking about that, right? We should all think about how we 
want to continue to live our lives right. the best we can. Um, but when you're doing that, consider how the income you're going to receive is is, is shown. Meaning, if you're an IT um, tech at a company and you have a W-2 and you're doing really well and people said, hey, I want to hire you on the side. And you have so many people saying that. You, you're thinking, this is something I should really do. And you become an independent self-employed consultant for IT. That is a different way that we calculate the income. And you're yes, going to have to be on that job almost two years before we can even use that income. There are exceptions to that rule a little bit um, within about 12 plus months. But generally, you need to have two years of self-employment income in order to use that. Uh, so really, really look out for that. Uh, another part is underwriters are looking for the continuity the, of income. Mm. And that's tough with so much furlough right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really tough. So one of the biggest things is consistency of earnings. So if you've been earning $5,000 a month and then you're earning $3,000 a month and then you're earning $8,000 a month, that's great that you've increased. But what happened in between? And we have to explain that to underwriter because although your income and pay statement may look and say, hey, yes, I'm really earning $8,000 a month. We have to verify that that's going to continue for a significant amount of time going forward. The best that we can you know, verify that that's going to continue because we never Absolutely. know how long we're all going to stay in a job. Right. Mm. Um, so the income and employment, um, we really don't change jobs or careers or how you're paid if you can avoid that. If you're looking at buying or refinancing anytime soon. And, and I like how you said, think about it. You could, it could be only a couple months, but really guys, these can have a year requirement right. to your requirements. So right. having that thought process early and thinking ahead guys, because one move, even though it could be positive for you, this could be the job career that you are at for the next 25 years. It just hasn't been something you've ever done before. So you got to have some, you got to have some skin in the game, have some years on that job. Um, but that's something you don't know. Now you're listening to the show and you know, yeah, Absolutely. I would like to jump in on that point too and not necessarily scare everybody because there are some situations where there might be lateral or upward totally. movement in careers. But you, our underwriting manager, who I email a lot for questions and one-offs, always brings it to baby talk for me where he's like, well, Addy, let's talk about this in big rocks rather than like this whole story I've put together. Does it make sense? Is yeah. it... Um, an engineer going to an engineer job and is that totally makes totally. sense is the salary a jump and I do a lot of relocation business from out of state into the Pacific Northwest and I constantly have to explain you know oh you got approved for the jobs over there oh well I'm just gonna go get a job at like Starbucks and like we can't move from x-ray tech to Starbucks that's right. not a great trend in the graph of stability to right. your point earlier so sometimes backing up and just does this make sense is or do we have stability like you said or forecasted growth right. and like the variables you know guys if it's going up down backwards sideways forward the inconsistency inconsistency is hard. is is hard guys so that that that's something again a risk factor and we're trying to be lighthearted hearted about it because there's a lot of times where it does make sense and you can connect the two and you're off to the races rocking and rolling well in case you what Bree was saying too made me think of this like 
when you get into contract and you're submitting a live run, like we're not dressed rehearsal anymore. This is showtime, right? <laughs> we're <laughs> yeah. going in. Contracts on. Really, what came to my mind when Bree was explaining that is right before you submit for underwriting, in contract, mm-hmm. going to start the standard 30 days to close, typical. You're pretty much taking a picture, a picture of your financial stability, your employment, and your credit. And it takes some time for that picture to be sent to the underwriter to look at it and do all the 100-point inspection checks we've been talking about, right? right? Now, if you make any changes within those major buckets, you're altering the picture for the underwriter. The underwriter can't approve the changes because they're not looking at them. So this maybe that's an easy takeaway for people to, to relate to the fact that Baby, that little credit, like, don't change anything. Don't alter the picture. Right. Make sure that we're going in with the same facts that we submitted to the underwriter. Yeah, that's well put. Absolutely. Absolutely, Addy. Great point. And I had somebody recently who re- chose to reduce their hours to take partial employment, which would actually end up being greater than what their current salary was at their job. Mm. So for, for them, it was a brilliant you know, solution to increasing their family income temporarily. However, unemployment income cannot be used and reducing your hours then changes that picture. It's that surprising it how many people make, I'm trying not to make light, but I get that a lot, but I make, un- I get unemployment. Right. Well, we're looking for employment income, not unemployment. Income yeah, doesn't yeah. qualify, unfortunately, and it's and it's tough too, guys. And uh, the easy way put is, is truthfully, we can't we can't show that that's going to continue for years going forward, mm-hmm. you know. And that's just an easy way to put, like on that unemployment side, or just income that's non-continuing gets gets hard to prove, right? Um, Absolutely. And again, the consistency mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. key. I like what Bree said too about the part-time job. That is a very reoccurring scenario that I hear. Uh, a lot of consumers make the assumption that their side gig, their Etsy shop, their what, whatnot, <laughs> mowing lawns or part hour bartending uh, is just like throwing laundry into the basket. It, no, the, it needs to be sorted and folded. And certain, like I'm on a roll with these analogies good. today. He's killing it today. But the deal and is, some of those clothes are not going to fit. Yeah. <laughs> but the two years, a good benchmark. If you've been doing. Uh, a particular structuring of compensation or of employment for two years. And I like to even pad that with two tax years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. File, 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 and have those tax years, especially if complex income and employment structures. Because a lot of people are like, oh, I've been running my business for two years. I'm good. But they haven't filed. Right. They extend, they extend, they extend. They two years filing with updated profit and loss statements if you're self-employed. So it becomes really complicated. Right. Yep. Absolutely. The third part that I want to make here today is is assets. That's, you know, underwriters are going to review credit. They're going to look at credit history, not just credit score. It's great to have a high credit score, but a high credit score doesn't necessarily give everyone the picture of how your credit, you know, lies. What is on there? I've seen credit scores 760 plus Mm-hmm. With judgments and liens and tax liens on them, uh, which, you know, you can't have a tax lien prior to, to closing on a house. So credit is the big piece. Underwriter is going to review each little step on that, uh, not just the score, but what's in your credit report, uh, the income and employment consistency. And the third and, and huge factor here, guys, is assets. Mm. Yeah, and that money. I, I, this... <laughs> <laughs> my head's black and blue. Um, but this is, you know... 
especially right now, we have different ways that we're paying each other, right? We have Zelle, we have Venmo, we have, um, I've seen three or four bank statements this morning, every single one had Zelle and, and Venmo deposits and large deposits, you know, $1,500, $2,500, $3,300. Those have to be sourced, which is fine if they're sourceable. But there are certain things on a bank statement that we are looking for, that the underwriter is looking for, that may not seem like a big deal when mm-hmm. you're saying, hey, I've got $26,000 in my account and this is what I need to close. I'm good to go, right? Money's I mean, there. We're done, guys. Right. Here's the issue, okay? Tell me. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm going to give you an example. I love examples. Story um, time. I had somebody just last week who, um, a fantastic young buyer, and she, her parents just happened to give her gifts very frequently. I, I mean, on a several time per week basis, which is very lucky. They would not adopt me, okay? <laughs> but, but she has these deposits every single week with parents just giving her gifts. Well- we had to get gift letters. We have to show where each of those deposits come from. Mm-hmm. A large deposit typically is 25% or more of your income. Okay. So if you're making $6,000 a month, that's $1,500. If you have deposits that are $1,499 and under, you, you might get away with those, but know that an underwriter can still ask where those funds mm-hmm. came yes. from. Yes, yes, they can. But if they are $1,500 and above, you better believe they're going to ask you to source that. You cannot use cash, and you've got to be able to show where those funds came from. If you got married and had a whole bunch of people at the wedding and give you gifts, you're going to need gift letter, gift letters for those funds. So it's not just the available funds in your account. It's how you got to that available funds. Okay, that's the key here. How did you get to that money? Was it from a cash advance from a credit card? Mm, Not going to work. Not going to work. Follow the money, baby. You got to follow the money. So, you know, gifts have to be sourced. If on particular loans, if you're using a gift from family, um, from a family member. There it is. They might have to provide their bank statement. But I don't want to. I don't want to. (laughs) And I, you know, went gambling and I won $100,000. That's where I came the money from. Okay, that's. You know, so we have to source not just where your funds came from and make sure they're valid sources of, of funds, um, but we have to make sure that any gift funds or transfers from money market or retirement accounts or anything around there are also valid sources. So if you're pulling money from a, from a 401k, we've got to see a couple months history of that, knowing that those funds have been there. Um, you know, so we're looking at the bank statements, make sure that at least for two full months, 60 days, mm. you have the funds in there and they're your verified funds or from a gift donor. Yeah, Brie, you just, you can't stress it enough because, and I think if you hear, I'm listening to you, so much passion coming out of it that might be like, oh, well, that's, but it's no, we want what's best for you. Yes. We want an easy process and we want to <laughs> close the loan for you. Easy, guys. Yes. We're just trying to make it easy. There's a lot moving on in the home but buying. We want to bring money in from the international different countries and we got to source that. We're here to right. make you su- help you be successful. But communicating is key just to bookend the whole sourcing. I loved what you put together for everyone there. Like, talk about this. Take the mortgage strategy call. Have a plan before. If you were properly advised and took the time and you structured a plan and stuck with it, because you got it, we could tell you lead a horse to water, right? (laughs) Yep. So just take that time. Think about it. Communicate. Plan. Don't just assume or guess, because it's already stressful enough buying, selling, refinancing. So 
I really like that follow the money thing. We've had quite a few episodes that yeah, roll follow into that, that money. Just have those conversations early, guys. Please, we beg you. Oh, we we beg you, please. <laughs> we beg you. Just have them early. It'll yeah. save you a lot of stress. And just to roll it out, if you're looking for a team that can support you and help you set up that plan and prevent any mistakes yes, and make the process fun, enjoyable, and memorable. We'll make With the smile. least amount of stress possible, we do have that open line that people can call or text, right, Bri? We do. And that number? 503-847-9038. Oh, right back. <laughs> All the way around the horn. Dang. And to conclude, everyone, check us out online. If you are watching us, we're also on the podcast. Anywhere you grab those episodes, we are there. And Grab them. Man, great show, everyone. Thank you, you so, so much. Thank Bree, you. Casey. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. You know who's even more awesome? Best. You guys are awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And until next time, everyone, we're going to catch you later. Check you later. Check ya, catch ya.